Welcome to the Dubious Consumers Podcast for the week of July 16th. My name is Justin D. Hurd. My name is Nathan Steinman. Skyler Deal. And um, yeah, we're trying to live something a little bit different. We'll see how this works. So um, starting in the next, our next podcast, we'll actually have a bunch of new microphones, you know, yeah. bigger setup, but got uh, put a little bit behind uh, due to... Um, Hardware issues, hardware employment, all all said things. Yeah, I'm unemployed. Woo! <laughs> so, um, just what you want to be. Well, luckily that allows me to work on the uh, YouTube channel a little bit more. I'm starting yeah. to get a insane, uh, a concentrated base. So there's that. Um, so uh, what's everybody been up to for the last uh, what has it been a month? A month, yeah. Mm. Mostly just trying to write and then trying to get some stories ready for submitting and uh, submitting some poetry. Already got my first rejection. Nice. Yeah. From stuff I recently submitted. So. Pin that on the wall so you can look at it. Every well, day. It's, it's, and I have to print it off. Oh. <laughs> oh, they do it by probably, email now. I probably, well, I mean, it's all unsubmittable now. It's all yeah, unsubmittable. yeah. Very few places do you, you direct or. I, I found it funny. I was talking to one of my old uh, roommates and was talking about, you know, of God's and madness, the faithful, it being now. He's like, oh, I still haven't read. I was like, most people haven't. It's okay. And he was just like, well, just keep, like, trying to get an agent. Like, Patrick Rothfuss had, like, 128 rejections. I was like, yeah, I'm at 123. Like, <laughs> I'm already there. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I didn't give up too soon. I gave it plenty due. You know. You're like I definitely probably went too long. Yeah, exactly. And I haven't written anything for a few years now. All my writing's done on uh, the YouTube channel. So, but who knows? It'll uh, probably it'll curve back around. Probably. We'll probably roll it all around. Yeah, we'll see how that all goes. So, Skylar, what have you been up to? Uh, well, I discovered a, uh, it's not a new podcast, but it's it's one I like, kind of, now it's Adam Carolla's podcast. Wow. Um, Is that like your guilty friend? No, no, no. What's funny about it and what it reminds me of is the humor of like South Park in a way, where you're not particularly to the full right or the full left, he's kind of in the middle, and he'll make fun of everybody, but he's pretty conservative though. Yeah. But he'll call, he'll call out everybody on there, and I like the other one he has with Doctor Drew. I've always liked hearing Doctor Drew. They're still yeah. doing that. that yeah, stick. they still are. I guess. <laughs> and I'm like super late to this podcast, but I listened to it because I was enjoying a random video that popped up somehow on my YouTube feed where he was trash talking millennials. So there you go. Well, he he is a one, so I guess he gets the. <laughs> <laughs> say a bunch of shit. He he's doing a movie called No Safe Spaces, wow. and I think it's um, I think it's like a college tour for him. Wherever they're not gonna kick him out, he'll go talk at it. Him and this other guy, and I don't know that guy's name. But yeah, they're just gonna go to colleges and, and talk really offensive things. To try and get Maybe yeah. I mean, that's basically what it sounds. Yeah, like. I mean, all the millennial stuff. You know, you. I'm trying to think of it. There's one guy who keeps. Oh, it's because I watched the Young Turks uh, on Facebook and them kind of taking on all the millennial bullshit, and as well as talking politics and everything. Super liberal, you know. Oh yeah, but sometimes, sometimes to the point of a fault with some of their reporting. It it can be, 
mostly I watch um, Asan the Hun, his stuff, and sometimes, you know, haven't been watching as much of it recently because it's just kind of the same thing over and over and over again. It's, it's real hard to right now because, like, it's, it's all Trump all the time. That being said, I watched the GQ stuff with Keith Oberman, so. Yeah, that's a little over. That's a, Sometimes I can take it, sometimes I'm not. I think probably the only news YouTube channel I've ever watched the most is Vox. Okay, yeah. And that's just because it's not just all Trump all the time. Right. Don't you get like tired they, of that? They talk about world events. They talk yeah. about yeah. all sorts of stuff. It's not just like 100%. I mean, Adam Carolla doesn't talk about Trump all the time either. Um, yeah, it's one of the it's the the problem is is that the reason it's Trump all the time is because Trump keeps fucking up all yeah, the time. Yeah, because it's literally the most insane presidency we've lived. Right. Because uh, <laughs> I think as we're flying, we're living through it. But the um, the only Adam Carolla podcast I've listened to was Penn Sunday School, and I stopped before the election. It was more just one of those switched from ios to android and lost the my podcast list and just kind of never went back <laughs> you're like hey. nah. yeah when you told me that i looked i was like oh yeah they're kind of on the same network podcast yeah it's, it's the same right. it, it's the adam carolla network yeah i would highly recommend the uh, uh revisionist history if you haven't started listening to that it's malcolm gladwell mm-hmm. the guy wrote blink the whole ten thousand hours idea all that stuff he's uh he has his own podcast that's all about talking about <clears throat> overlooked and misunderstood things in history. It sounds interesting. Um, and it's really well researched and really, really well. A good but, uh, one was um, on the Idle Thumbs Network. It's called Something True. I can't remember who the author of it is, but it, they're conde- there's only eight episodes so far. There's only eight episodes in season one. But it's them going through a bunch of real stuff um, that's happened in the president, like the president's dog. I'm trying to remember which one becoming. Um, I think it was Harding. His dog became a celebrity, and that's kind of the only thing that kind of kept him popular during <laughs> the um, during his big scandals. And he was, would write stuff from the dog's perspective about the stuff that was going on. Um, Wow. And the dog had to sit in in every cabinet meeting, like all that shit. <laughs> There's one about a satanic rocket engineer and just going into all the weird shit that he, oh yeah, we, he totally um, summoned the whore of Babylon too. And she, she showed up and there was this whole free love oh, that's, thing. That's, that's, that's talking about Jack yeah, Parsons. Yeah. And it's, yeah. The L. Ron Hubbard. Yes, story. exactly. And it's talked about. And that my favorite thing about it is the very the end of that episode is the is whenever they get on their boat and go away, and he s- tries to summon a storm, something to stop them, and a storm comes in and makes them come back. Um, it's already established that he blows himself up with a rocket, but he's standing on the um, harbor in a trench, you know, in a code, whatever, with the wind flapping through it because he's the rocket man. And that's how it ends. And I'm like, oh, this is fucking awesome. But he just does all these really weird, like uh, Virginia Woolf pranked the um, the palace by like dressing up in blackface and pretending to be these foreign dignitaries before she became a bit like when she was in college. Wow. So it's it, as I said, it's called something true. It's on the Idle so Thumbs Network. Real quick, when you were telling me to check out like true like crime st- history, like 
story podcast. I just typed up true crime stuff, and there's one came out called True Crime. Okay, Garage, nice. And I really like that. It's two guys who you hear the garage door shut, and they first talk about whatever beer they ever sent, and they give you however many bottle caps out of five, and then they talk about different true crimes. Like they did Sandy Hook, they did Tupac Shakur, they did. Um, who else? Boys on the Track, Springfield Three. These I'm just looking at so Casey Anthony, John Wayne Gacy. That one was pretty creepy, actually. Well, pretty much everything about Wayne yeah. Gacy is pretty creepy, really and they're really good. Uh, pretty interesting. I'd check it out. True Crime Garage. Uh, one more podcast I'll plug. Uh, Team Human. It's uh Douglas Rushkoff, the guy who wrote um, Coercion, Present Shock. Uh, he worked on a lot of the original kind of Adbusters stuff. He's written comics. He's kind of all over the place. But uh, now he's working in academia, and he's using that to create a podcast that's mostly talking to more about positivist thinkers, technology experts, futurists, uh, kind of some fringe scientists, just to kind of get a different perspective, sometimes playwrights, and uh, just kind of people who don't normally get the kind of questions and kind of trying to look at reality from the the perspective of being on team human and it's just it's a very interesting podcast uh it's not i mean episodes are usually under an hour long and they're all there's usually a monologue and then uh interview i was gonna say i think the only other one that i would really suggest is the lore podcast which is a kind of weekly, is it, is it weekly? Maybe monthly. It's a horror podcast, kind of horror-themed podcast that talks about weird and creepy shit that's happened in the past. Um, the one thing I like about it is while he does lean into, wow, isn't this crazy and creepy? And he um, actually will go through and um, call stuff out if you, like, supposedly this happened and you know whatever and there's um the case of the woman who was um birthing parts of rabbits um instead of you know instead of she was pregnant but she was birthing rabbits and it goes to the whole thing how nobody could figure out what was going on they called in all these random people and then explains what she was actually doing and um how they figured it out so that's that's done by Aaron Mankey. He even has a um, sort of loot crate monthly box that comes out with all the kind of creepy stuff that they've researched. The Nerd Coffin, Carrie okay. Fisher edition. Um, words fired. <sighs> never mind. Never, never. So you you lobbed. You did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> red letter media, yeah. folks. Yeah. The uh, um, speaking of red letter media, so uh, I thought it was hilarious that so instead of doing a single review of Transformers the last night, they just did the intro to the like the intro five minutes with these two guys, these two guys have shown up as guest stars, yeah, stars on different episodes. They're sitting in. They're sitting in. Then Mike and Jay do the voiceover while the other two drink beers and transform it like about five minutes. And then they just say, nah, fuck it. And it cuts 
and then there's still 45 minutes of black space after the video so that people started the video thinking they were going to actually talk about it. They did it three times. Yeah. It was... Yeah. The more reason I can't stand that channel. <laughs> it was surprising. There was a lot. There seemed to be a lot more critics going, no, I'm not going to watch this movie or review it. Did you see the Doug Walker thing on it? Yeah, where he's like, I'm going to predict what happens in this movie. Yeah, I watched somebody who, after seeing the movie, did a reaction to Doug Walker's video and going, you know what? He got about 90, 95% of it correct. Like, oh he's, he's, he's not far off. Like, the details are a little bit off, but the broad strokes, yeah, yeah. And he corrected the stuff that he got wrong. Like, he was like, okay, wow. don't need to watch this guy anymore. Yeah, but that yeah. was interesting to just see kind of, hey, did Doug Walker get it right? Yeah, he did. Oh. Yeah. And then I think of the next nostalgia critic. He was like, if I can, you know, made a joke about him. I mean, if I can predict 90, you know, most what happens in a Michael Bay movie. Uh, no. So, uh, Nathan, what have you been consuming? Um, so, the main things I've been consuming is movies. But uh, I saw a short film, a really famous short film called La Jete. It's a time travel, dystopian, post-apocalyptic short film made in 1962 by Chris Marker. Um, there is... It is almost entirely composed of still photographs done in photo montage. There is music, there is narration, and there is... Uh, the dialogue that you hear is mostly in German and it's mixed in a way that's difficult to understand. And it's not translated in any way, shape, or form. But the opening of the film starts, which is where it gets the um, title on the jetty or outdoor viewing pier at, our, at airports. Back when you, know, you used to have to walk to the tarmac instead of doing um, to get on the plane instead of doing the what they do now. But uh, a little boy watching airplanes take off. Then he sees a beautiful woman, and then he sees a man die. Years pass, and nuclear war happens. Paris is completely obliterated. More years pass. There's a group of survivors living in the catacombs. <laughs> they've no. developed time travel. Time travel. <laughs> Uh, I think most, uh, I think of, you most of you know where I'm going with this. This is the ins- this is actually the prime inspiration for the film Twelve Monkeys. Uh, what's absolutely fascinating is that with very very minimal, you can tell they didn't really have a lot of money. Also to the point of like, there's only one moment where there are moving images. It's all photo montage, but an actual like film motion picture camera he could only use for one afternoon and he got one shot (laughs) (laughs) so there's one moving image and the whole everything else was photo montage and with narration and or indecipherable German dialogue it's um, utterly fantastic black and white 
Um, so one of like the key influences on it uh, is Hitchcock's Vertigo, uh, including like the way the woman, uh, who, the actress, is dressed and the way her hair is done. It's completely imitating the way apparently Chris Marker was obsessed with uh, Vertigo. He made a film called Sen Soleil, which is a really famous documentary. Uh, there is also like Vertigo references in that documentary. It's all over. Um, Chris Marker made 62 uh, films that are credited on IMDb. Some of them are TV movies. Some of them are short fiction pieces like this. Others of them are documentaries or documentary shorts. Uh, there's one movie called The Fifth Level that's technically a fictional movie, but it's mostly composed of documentary and stock footage that has been reinterpreted to be a fictional film. Um, but Chris Marker was a part of a... So with French New Wave, you know about Godard, you know about Truffaut, so the other side of French cinema uh, is called the Left Bank Group, and it involved uh, Elaine Rene, who made Hiroshima Montemore, Agnes Varda, who is still a documentary filmmaker to this day, uh, Marguerite de Ross, the novelist. Uh, she actually wrote the screenplay to Hiroshima Montemore. Uh, Jean-Pierre Melville, who did Le Samurai. Okay. Um, and Jacques Demy, uh, or Jacques Demy. Uh, due to the umbrellas of Cherbourg. Um, and it's very like, closely tied to, like, there was this whole idea of the Alain Robet-Grillet, if I can say his name correctly. I probably didn't. He had this whole idea of a new novel, and it's where you eliminate a lot of metaphorical descriptive language. Like, you make the prose cleaner, tighter, more... It's much more of a realism, but it's like you can still do outlandish things and tell fictional stories, just getting rid of calling them out, you know, of, of a lot of like what he considered artifice. I was going to say, it kind of sounds like Stephen King's on writing um, thing, just like, hey, get out, get rid of anything that doesn't need to be there, cut out the adverbs, cut out the. Yeah. Just, just the facts, man. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, so with that in mind, Chris Marker um, has a huge career, and this film, probably above all of his movies, is the most famous in film circles because one, it's one of only a couple of movies that are photo montage, uh, and then the fact that it's had such a lasting influence with things like Twelve Monkeys. There's also a David Bowie video called Jump They Say that is a direct reference to Lajate. So, um, the other thing I wanted to mention was Time Magazine made a list of what they considered the top ten time travel movies. Okay. So, Twelve Monkeys, Primer, Back to the Future, Terminator 2, The Original Planet of the Apes, Time Bandit, Peggy Sue Got Married, The Original Time Machine, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and La Jete. They put the film, the original film, 
the original film and the remake readaptation on the same as you do. Time, time travel movie. Um, biggest the biggest difference, probably plot wise, is that he actually travels to the future at one point, and it's actually the people in the future that send him back to the to the present day of the woman permanently. Yeah, that's the biggest probably plot difference. But the essential twist of Twelve Monkeys is there, which if you haven't seen either of them, I'm not going to ruin it for you. So Twelve Monkeys. On that note, be sure to watch my causal loops video, which does ruin the twist in like the first 15 seconds. And several other movies twists. So, Skylar, what have you been consuming? I've seen a couple movies. Um, one movie I've seen is a Korean zombie film called Last How was that? I enjoyed it very much. I enjoyed it very much, and the ending is very, uh, very touching. <laughs> I won't give anything away. Um, I wanted to tear up. That's on Netflix right now, right? Yeah, Blue. Um, yeah, um, Last Train to Busan. Basically, a Korean father and his daughter are traveling so she can see Busan, so she can see her mom. They're divorced. Somehow a zombie, Somehow a zombie outbreak happens there in South Korea, and he's stuck on a train heading south. And people one by one, you know, a zombie, your typical zombie movie. It's not a rated R zombie movie, I don't think, but it's still gorier than World War Z, I guess. But they're all trapped on a train. So it, it, it's really cool. The zombies are interesting. The characters in it, they actually spent time making. I was trying to remember. There's a video game coming out that seemed to have the same sort of zombie movement, like where the people are just falling all over each other. Yeah, they kind of do that. Yeah, they kind of do that. Spilling. Right, right. Which is kind of a cool visual. It's very, you know, and the insect influences make sense. So you're talking about. Lizard brain is probably the only thing working, really. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to say. I think they made, like, a prequel to it that's an anime, like a Korean, South Korean anime, which looks all right. But uh, the, live, the movie, the live-action movie, pretty cool. Um, that the, that kind of came out uh, last year with, like, The Handmaiden and yeah. uh, a couple other movies. Okay. Like, like people saying, go see this. Yeah, well, you, you can watch it on Netflix right now. Don't know how it's, long it's it'll be on there. But it, it's, it's worth a shot. It's a good length of a movie. It's not terribly long. <laughs> it's not a three-hour zombie dream. Yeah, don't need, don't need that. I was trying to remember if 28 Days was that long of a movie. It's only like two hours. Yeah, I can't think of any zombie like movie that. that's three hours long. What one? I can the dead the full director's <laughs> cut that's almost, <laughs> that's almost three hours it's got to be three hours or if you watch the bootleg of it on youtube called the mall cut which they add every single cut shot from every source that they could get and they put it all into one big movie wow Oh, it's called the Extended Mall Hours edition. Yeah, I'm, I'm a horrible person. Yeah. I still prefer the um, the Zack version of Dawn of the Dead. James Gunn. 
That movie's not I mean, bad. That's, that's probably that was a good remake. Wildly regarded in a lot of cases to be the best Zack Snyder movie. <laughs> well, it's I mean it's James Gunn as well, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, check out Last Train to Busan. B U S A N. So um, one of the things I'm kind of I'm gonna roll it all into one topic is um, I've been watching all the Oats Studios stuff on YouTube. Have you guys watched any of that? Okay. The Rocka. Watch the first one. Mm. Yes, um, it's Neil Blomkamp's new um, studio. Um, oh. The guy behind District Nine. Oh, they they've they done. Short they're releasing. They're basically film, releasing right. like weekly um, short films. There's a bunch of concept short films. Okay, I read about it. You check it out. Um, yeah, because Rocka has um, Sigourney Weaver in it. That one, it's almost 30 minutes long, but it's about an alien invasion. But the aliens, um, they have telepathy, and they can basically just take over your entire um, body to stop you from attacking them. If they lock eyes with you, or they emit this frequency, I think it is, that stops them from being able to, stops people from being able to fight back. And so they can... Yeah, but if you look into, if you look at them... Okay, Um, and then so the humans devise, you know, they can build out a spare parts this thing to hijack people's minds, but they're in limited supply, and they end up finding a guy who is half human, half you know has been partially taken over, but has still retained his autonomy, and so they he can kind of see the future. There's that one. They have a bunch of them which are cooking with Bill, that are these weird short films. They're you know. The Daisu 900, which is instead of, you know, it's him. Oh, man, have you ever just tried to cut a block of cheese with a knife? And it's him trying to cut it and can't do it. So he gets out this giant thing with like 10 different knives, like Edward Scissorhands sort of chainsaw thing that he uses that and then tries to cut a turkey and cuts off, you know, jacks into his hand. Uh, There's one where it creates sushi and there's just this long string of hair going through it. So he cuts the hair and then eats the piece and has like dowels that, you know, chomp on the hair for about 30 seconds afterwards it's just cringe worthy tell you know yeah exactly <laughs> trying to get people to go Ugh. Um, now, these, now these are all uh, most of them are filmmakers right and he's just kind so of he's of producing the, them yeah yeah all been yeah um oh they're what, all his they're Oh, I thought they were. No, it's him actually just doing a bunch of short film, like using the same stuff he used to create District 9 and create the really over the top um, CG effects that look really realistic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Oak Studios. Yeah, there's one called Firebase, which um, I actually, which is really cool but super gory. Like even before it, it says, "Hey, this is not intended for all viewers," but it like shows. It's um, basically it's this creature that used to be a Korean um, guy whose entire family was killed. He was set and he ends up kind of tapping into some power and becoming this walking um, creature that as his as he goes, his musculature and basically just becomes a walking skeleton and nervous system that is able just to completely destroy anything he comes across. And then um, the most recent one was Zygote which was, it's the thing that meets Alien, and it has this creature that, as it, basically, it, when it collects somebody into their, its DNA, it actually 
extends its arms by just becoming dozens of hands that are like clawing, like pulling itself forward. It has dozens of eyes. It has no face, but it has the legs and hands. And one of my favorite little details about it is just one hand places down and the other hands reach and grab its wrist and then pull itself forward. Like kind of, it has a lot of world building. Each of these videos for being only a 20 to 30 minute short has a, a lot of world building and totally immerses you in the storyline, but they're all volume ones um, that basically he's showing all these concepts in an effort to get funding. Like these stories won't continue unless a major studio picks them up. Or unless like, I think he's talking about that they can, they're, they're going to sell them as, as well. And, and initially they're going on YouTube and then they'll be, Right. Purchase as he's a group, not sure but like he's not sure completely how he's going to do it, but the initial run. Yeah, there's they're still releasing them. The last one that I forgot about was um, yeah. it's God Volume One or whatever, and it's basically this old bearded guy sitting in a library reading books. He's like, oh yeah, there's a great recipe in here for making black holes, and he has a servant that they're sitting out. There's a giant table in front of them, which is basically Neanderthals. Um, on the table and like one of them discovers fire and he's like is he supposed to be doing that no he's they're not supposed to find that for another 200,000 years okay well like get just blow it out like just get him to go back into their cave and them affecting the world and then going kind of going back like just superior superior douche moves from a well from, from, yeah, <laughs> from, a, from, a, from a wealthy god with his <laughs> butler servant having the butler do all the stuff while he just kind of sits back and reads books. So it, a lot of them are kind of yeah. interesting concepts. Not all of them hit, but like Firebase I thought was really boring until it got to the point where you're seeing just skin peeling off of this creature and how realistic it is and just kind of going, oh shit, okay, First I need actual... First, that's right, kind of right. one of his things, is the realism of the special effects. I still haven't watched Chappie. That's probably something I'm going to watch since trying to, trying to find a job. It's a lot of fun. It's not, it's a lot, there's a lot of problems to it, but it's a lot of fun. South Africa just The other thing is, like, the fact that, like, you have the ant word. Like, just right, right. <laughs> getting, like, tur- turning this robot who can paint and who's very smart into a game. Yeah, the um, I just watched a Diane Word thing with the whole thing with Ninja going to play basketball with Kanye. Is just like the weirdest thing thing ever. Very, very much shades of the Charlie Murphy and Friends video. What's in my bag from the Amazing Music Parade where they just asked random musicians and famous actors and directors to come pick out stuff at the store and just to explain why you like this music. Yeah. They actually pronounced all texture. All texture. I said it wrong, but the guy said it right. I just said it wrong. They're drum and bass, and they talked about how much they love the twin and stuff like that. So, Nathan, what else have you been consuming? 
Um, a film that I uh, just got uh, the criterion for was uh, F for Fake. I really need to give that film a chance. Like, I think I got about 10, 15 minutes into it and kind of went, I really just do not like this. It seems it's just really dull. I know. <laughs> Which is surprising. Literally Which is surprising because literally it's some of the. I think it was. I mean, I think it was literally just the way he was talking about stuff. I may not even got fifteen minutes in. I just I completely bounced off of it. I think I tried watching it whenever. Actually, I think I was at Vintage Stock and rented it, and then just kind of went. Uh, okay, yeah, no. So, but uh, Tony's out of every frame of fancy. He talked about this film in one of his videos, and he's mentioned it. Other times as a thing, influence on the style did, um, of his videos. Brows held high. Do something on it as well. I thought they did, but it might they maybe might just have, be. I think they, they might have. I think. They yes, he does because this. Uh, yeah, it's him talking about. I think it's the, the. Anyway, words. So the whole. Uh, so the whole. Uh, most interesting part is the fact that it's the last completed. Orson Welles film. And it's very important to say the words completed because right now you have the other side of the wind that is finally more than 32 years after his death is finally going into complete post-production after being in a horrible legal shambles for decades. But, uh, Did he last? When was he filmed? Uh, he filmed uh, Other Side of the Wind over like three uh, years in the seventies. Wow, part of it was while he was making it for fake. But Oya Kodar, his uh, partner uh, during the last ten or fifteen years of his life, who was also in it for fake. But uh, she was in charge of his estate and all of his movies. But she's. Uh, I do believe she's passed away, and now it's like just kind of like it, everything's been in limbo. But I think the Criterion Collection, the people behind it, finally got a hold of all of the other side of the wind, and they're going to assemble it. Oh, if it was anyone else, it'd be them. I don't yeah. know who else could care that much about it. <laughs> it's funny because uh, it's not the only movie of his that's been completed by someone else. There's a he made it. He filmed. Hundreds of like scenes and stuff for a Don Quixote movie over like twenty something years that someone compiled it together in nineteen ninety two like a version of it. It's like boyhood. It took twelve years, twenty years to make. The problem with like Orson Welles it seems to be is like he'd start a project, wouldn't get funding, have to make his own funding, make his own money. Uh, do stuff, get a couple of scenes, get a couple of ideas, something would happen, or someone would fall through, or someone would pass away, or someone involved would, like, get arrested, or lose all, you know, not be wealthy anymore, and just had to, like, start over again, again, and again, and again, like, so many things. Imagine watching a movie the old, you just gets older. Yeah. The interesting thing is, like, there's a whole Moby Dick that he was making that's just him reciting Moby Dick. It would have been perfect for you too. To the camera. 
Yeah, actually, yes. <laughs> I think Orson Welles. Yeah, actually, yes. I think Orson Welles would have <laughs> done like very well on YouTube. If if something like YouTube had existed, he would have probably been fine. I wonder if his role. It probably is, but uh, so the back to it probably is, but uh, so the back to Effer Fake. Mostly. So Effer Fake is mostly, mostly about the idea of forgeries, hoaxes, and fakers, trickery of all kinds. Um, there's scenes of Wells doing magic. On stage, and in the context of the film, um, but most of the movie is made up with the story of Elmir Dehori and his biographer Clifford Irving. Now, Elmir Dehori was. What's interesting is before the film came out, he had actually passed away from committing suicide, and they don't really address that in the, the movie, possibly because it was very public knowledge at the time. Um, but, but like, but even Clifford Irving in a later documentary that I started, he's not convinced that Elmir didn't fake his death because Elmir was known for being able to basically mimic the style of a lot of famous painters, but he was in Munich in the, the thirties. He studied with Ferdinand Leger, uh, and he was around the early uh, early Cuba. He was around with Cubas. He was around all sorts of famous painters. And he just had the eye to make copies. And so he made fakes, hundreds of them. Sold. He basically made his living more off fakes than he made off his real paintings. But uh, most of the film is shot on the island of Ibiza, which is really famous right now because of Asana. Now all of the it's been a jet setter place since like the sixties. But um, but Clifford Irving, the biographer, is also another man who may be completely lying about everything. Uh, He actually had a Howard Hughes biography that he supposedly wrote that turned out to be a complete forgery. He was on 60 Minutes defending it and then had to like, he ended up going to prison and all the stuff for basically committing uh, forgery and taking people's money. But um, the interesting thing is that it's like, it's not just about fights and forgery, but it's also about art, about expertise. What do experts really know? What do, you know, the fact that like, they Clifford Irving talks about taking an Elmir to one art expert and being like, oh yes, this is this is the greatest, you can tell that this is a Mogliani because of this, 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 and this, and then like, going to another art expert, and like, the guy going, oh, you can tell it's not a Mogliani because of the exact same reasons that the guy just listed off, you know, it's like, and he was like, this made me really um, question it. But what's interesting about Effort Fake is originally it wasn't even an Orson Welles project. It was a BBC film done by Francois Reichenbach. And for a lot of the production, like, Orson Welles wasn't even there. He was brought in later to help edit and refine the picture. And he turned it even on its head and made it even weirder and made it, like, even more an exploration of fakes and fakery and trickery. Um, 
Some interesting elements is the fact that it's a documentary right. with that, an that, unreliable that, that's narrative. Why it's, instead of an unreliable subject, instead of it's an unreliable instead of an unreliable subject. Yeah, that's that's the reason all it's the, an unreliable uh, narrative. the online YouTube critic community talks about it is how it subverts the traditional documentary narrative by pointing itself out, then pointing itself out again, and then pointing itself out even further. Right. And then putting pushing even further into the story and putting, you know, making two pieces of footage that may or may not go together, but making them go together in such a way that they make you think they're related, even though they're clearly not. There is a but um, there is a adaptation of of Clifford Irving's hoax. He wrote a book about the Howard Hughes hoax. And they did an adaptation with Richard Gere. I haven't seen, and I haven't. I just found out about it basically today. But there's a director named uh, Lesse uh, Hallstrom. He directed uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Side of House Rules, Chocolat, My Life as a Dog. Nice. And this year's A Dog's yeah. Purpose. Which also makes me want to which makes me kinda of wanna watch my life as a dog as a dog's purpose to see if it's like Okay, that's the only way I think I could probably sit through a dog's purpose. But um But apparently they changed so much in the screener says that Clifford Erger he wanted his name removed, but uh, but uh, <laughs> the other thing is like the textual layer of the film of the actual uh, the cutting in the movie is so fascinating because there are start stops freeze frames uh, cuts to like like unrelated objects then there's like stacks of film canisters that repeat over and over um Quick edits, jump cuts, jumping from location, time, person, place, subject, in in like almost disorienting way. Like it's it's uh, the turn of the prestige. You know, it's all about the turn. It's all about the other thing is you know, and then the other thing is is for most of the film it breaks the fourth wall until it for until it does the sixteenth wall breaks. <laughs> there's definitely some fourth wall breaks within the fourth wall break in the way that he's talking about things and in the final ordeal I, I don't have any problem with it I mean technically fourth wall breaking goes back to Shakespeare because the opening uh, uh, the, the opening soliloquy tells you the plot of the play and directs uh, is talking directly to the audience <laughs> And even the soliloquy itself is it's always directed towards the audience, not directed towards the other characters. JCVD. I started to watch it just didn't get very far into it. I've heard I've heard really good things about it. Um, the other interesting thing, um, so the guy who shot a lot of the American footage is Francois 
Reichenbach, the other di- basically director of this film, um, dire- shot most of the movie, where Gary Grover uh, shot a lot of the American footage and a lot of additional photography, and he even helped with some of the editing. But he, so he was a B movie cinematographer. Just a bunch of like just dirt bag B movies. And like even later in his career was shooting like adult films to make I guess to make ends meet. I don't know. Um, but he just kind of how he got hooked up with Wells is he just Sometimes called him out of the way, blue. And like Wells was like the only person who's ever who had ever called me out of the blue before nice. was the guy who so shot Citizen like, Kane. <laughs> so he was like, you're working with me, basically. Like, yeah, I mean, that's that's always kind of the thing you hear from a lot of the greats, is the thing that should never work works because the person doesn't know it shouldn't work. If the, if they did know it shouldn't work, it never would have worked like for the, them. It like the Chris Christopherson taking a helicopter and flying them to... Johnny Cash's lawn and then handing the demo tape and then getting back to the helicopter flying off. And that's there was, there is, um, that, that is awesome. There, there was awesome. a woman who um, taught a couple of years ago at the OWFI about screenwriting and she was telling her story and what she did was she went to this famous producer's house and went and put her script in a um, basically a baby carrier. I can't think of like the right word for it but um basically kind of wrapped it up like she was dropping off a baby at an orphanage (laughs) put her script in there and put a note attached to it that said please um hope you know take care of my script hope it finds a good home (laughs) rang the doorbell and ran off he looked at it liked it and that's how she got into the industry she's like this never would have worked for any if i had known not to do that it never would have worked Talk about well, it's also the they talk about the moment someone figured it out a way to get so in. No they they coordinate right, right. so no one can um, ever though do I feel that like again. Though I feel like if you flew in the someone's house with a with a helicopter and then was helicopter and left, it would still be a I like that. Good job. I saw you in exciting video on YouTube. I just typed up people sneaking into concerts, and there's this kid who did it for three days in a row, sneaking into all the concerts. And then the last day, he got 30 people sneaking in all at the same time. He's like, follow me, follow me. And they would hop the fence. By the time you get into the crowd, they don't, they're not going to find you. Especially once Yeah, there's nothing they can do, especially once if someone's playing. So I just stumbled upon something on IMDb. Just so you know, Kyle Calgren of Browse Hell High fame did do one. It's called Ephes for Fake and the Death of the Author. So he did a... I, I remember there's several videos from all of those video essayists. But... Because um, it's basically the first video. Right. Because it's yeah. basically the first video. Essay. Did you know that on IMDb, all of them are listed as different television shows? The Nostalgia Chick, the Nostalgia Critic. Kyle, every web video he's been on is listed on IMDb. He is listed as writer, director, and producer for all of his own videos. It also shows every different web series he's been on as a guest person and what character persona he was playing. Tony Zhao even has, um, he's listed as the director for one of his Every Frame of Painting, but he's direct, he's listed as a writer on all of them. 
and as an actor. So um, apparently I can be listed on IMDb now. <laughs> so, but yeah, so he has 107 episodes, um, but it has the, him being a writer for the Nostalgia Chick. Um, and it's basically just the episodes that he's on, him writing for himself, but being listed as a writer means he, like, all of those are on IMDb as credits. So that's pretty awesome, actually. I wonder if that was a uh, something blip. And maybe um, it looks like if there. you have a name, then you can start adding stuff, and you can suggest titles to be added. If it is a web video, it says it can't be primarily other people's content unless it's you know a free use essay about it, where it can show that you're doing a something video. to yeah. demonstrate otherwise. So, yeah, that's I. That's kind of interesting. You can start right. yourself as writer. <laughs> you can get even more Justin D. Nerds on the internet. See, there you go. Actually, no, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I did not. <laughs> but uh, I think the most interesting part of it for me uh, is the fact that it's a movie where the truth is completely put in question. It shows you how much Eisenstein was right of, you know, the synthesis of images and text, words, the, just the synthesis of ideas can be so persuasive. And it's just, it's a masterclass in, like, proving to you, like, don't trust everything you see. Don't trust everything you hear. And it's like, it, it, in a way, it's the perfect film for the internet. Of, like... Don't believe everything you read just because it's on the internet, you know. And in a very post-truth or whatever the fuck era we're in, um, it's interesting to see something that isn't trying to be post-modern at all because it's very sincere. It's not trying to be ironic at all uh, in the way that a lot of post-modern stuff is like very much about irony, very much about subterfuge, very much about but at the same time, it is also completely and totally postmodern in the fact that it's a film with an unreliable a narrator. A film within a film outside of a film. Yeah. Uh, a, a film within a film within a film that also has a third act that is another film in a way <laughs> that talks about people who lied to each other, committed hoaxes and forgeries, made millions ended up in jail. Uh, the only character that's missing from the story of Elmir is the art dealer who sold a lot of his work, who is named Fernand Legros. He's born in Egypt. He was a uh, daughter of uh, a son of Greek and French parents, if I remember that right. But he's, he actually also went to prison in 79, but for a very short time. Uh, but Mostly because he sold okay. to a Texas oil man named Arthur Meadows, who he had 53 paintings he bought from Fernand Legros. Forty-six nice. of them were proven to be fakes. <laughs> Something like $2.3 million, or I, I can't remember the exact in the millions. But this guy was like a millionaire art dealer. He dressed extravagantly. He was totally flamboyant. Dead in 1983. It's kind of like 
Someone should do a film about this like, guy. No, it's like, kind of like someone should he, do a film he, about he this burned guy. bright and no, burned like, out. Yeah, he was like, he was like, yeah, yeah, he was like, he was. I think he had just turned fifty years old or nineteen. He died. Yeah, uh, nineteen ninety three. Or sorry, did I say eighty three? Yeah, you son of a bitch. Ninety three. Sorry, but uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I said the wrong one. But yeah, uh, watch out F for fake. It's uh, fantastic. I'll probably just no excuse. Watch it with Justin, so that way he has he doesn't he he also doesn't can't do the thing because he hasn't seen it, so he can't like get up and walk around. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Go to the kids. Ignore the kids. Go to the kids. You know, but but yeah, that's uh, something else that I watched. That probably went on a longer tangent than I meant to. So, uh, Skyler, what else have you seen? Well, I said movies. I'll just mention that one movie I watched. But I uh, just remembered. Okay, uh, I'm not trying to promote this thing, this service, or hawk it to get anything out of it. But it's something I really want to do. All right, you know all these nerd boxes and things people buy. I mean, there's this one called Mystery Tackle Box where they send you fishing. I mean, there's there's things all over the place. Well, the box culture. There's this one I wanted to get called Vinyl Me Please. And you can sign up for twenty nine dollars for one month or three months or a year. They send you a exclusive vinyl that they press every month and they usually sell out people just want to buy that one vinyl so they sell it for like that one month like they did Fiona Apple's first album which is the very first time it was ever put on record <coughs> yeah that, I imagine that would sell out pretty quick I'm wanting to join for two reasons first off they have they do reissues that aren't part of the vinyl of the month releases but they are exclusive to them and you have to be a member of vinyl for store certain releases Probably, probably because those copyrights are very specific. There's a band I like called uh, The Sunny Day in Glasgow, and they have a re-release of their second album called uh, Ashes Brown. When it first came out, they were like five million copies. So. But you know, and it's like a really good album. But uh, what's neat is this one of those albums you lost on your no no this came out a lot later. <laughs> um. The, the the cool thing is everyone okay, July's album's already out. It's Betty I think her name is Betty Davies. But anyway, she plays Sly Stone, maybe. I'm trying to remember. But anyway, um what's cool is everybody's trying to guess what's coming out in August. And they do a thing every month where they throw down a bunch of like uh like on the forums there they throw down a bunch of like uh, unique Hints and questions, and people got to guess what it is. So, so everybody that guesses correctly, well, okay, well, yeah. within a certain number, get well. Okay, whoever guesses the right album first gets like a twenty dollar off discount. Uh, they're going to announce what it is on the twentieth of this month, and this is going to be the August release. But so far, from all the people guessing, they come up with hints and they kind of go off what they're saying. So, this next release will likely. Likely to not be a um, POC artist. Um, oh, I forgot what that meant. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think of those things. 
uh, ROTM Record of the Month will only be issued through Vinyl Me Please for the foreseeable future, i.e. no other upcoming reissues or repressings. So this is just from people guessing, and they, they say, okay, we're going to take what you said, and we're going to add this, so this is kind of narrowing it down. This is not a new release, likely to not be a solo Otters update. It is a band. The Record of the Month has been guessed already. And there's a long list of albums below on this forum thing. And this forum alone has 131 pages of people trying to figure this out. Basically, what it's narrowed down to is three albums. Um, and they're really good albums. Liars. There's a band from New York called Liars. And it, it's uh, their third album. They were wrong. So they Is it the drum? Yeah, the drum one. I think that's it. And I actually listened to that for the first time, and that album's incredible sounding. But I like their first album, and I saw them open for Radiohead once, and they sounded really good. Yeah, um, I think the only album I've listened to is the, the drum one. I'm looking at the title right now. Um, there's another band called The National, and their album Boxer, which is really good. And the kind of funny thing is they're from both of those are bands. It's kind of narrowed down. Drum's not dead. It's narrowed down to... An, a band from New York City. <laughs> so, here, here's the, the popular guess. is Jonathan Fire Eater, their album Wolf Songs for Lambs. When that band broke up, members went on to form The National. So you have The National's album Boxer, which is really good. If you like that band Interpol, you'd like The National. If you like that post-punk revival stuff. Um, First, I don't think... I don't know. They're, Interpol is just so specifically Joy Division influence. Yeah. But I'm a sucker for that. <laughs> Um, okay, the National Boxer Sonic Youth album Dirty, which is a really awesome album. I thought it, I like Goo, but Dirty is a good one too. Um, the live album Stop Making Sense by Talking Heads, really one of the best live albums ever made. That would also make sense because of uh, the death of Jonathan Demme this year. And last is Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's album, Fever to Tell, their first album. And when it came out in vinyl, it was only like a picture disc, and you can't listen to it, it's not like junk. So those are the <laughs> those are the guesses. They wouldn't let people spam guess. They no guessing on future albums. So. Anyway, it's pretty cool. And to narrow it down, they would post videos of bands. And once they posted a video of a certain band, it means that's not a candidate for the thing. Wow. So everybody's arguing: is it the National or is it Talking Heads or Sonic Youth? <laughs> people are wanting Paul's Boutique from Beastie Boys to be on there, but probably not. Because of rights and yeah, I can't major imagine. label stuff. So. I can't imagine getting clearances for something like that. But there were some good things that they put on this long list of bands that they were possibly thinking about putting on there. Um, My Bloody Valentine's first full length isn't anything. I got excited when I read that, but that's been kind of narrowed out now. Um, Sound of Silver by LCD Sound System. They're from New York. That's a good album. Didn't they just get back together? Yeah, they did. Um, 24 Hour Revenge Therapy by Jawbreaker, who they are reuniting and playing in Chicago at Riot Fest this year, which I'm really um, They were from New York originally. <laughs> it, it, it's interesting, uh, this whole thing. I just discovered it. I'm late to it, of course, like everything. Like I just discovered Reddit. <laughs> I just yeah, I just Reddit. joined it as well Whoa. as a way of promoting my stable videos. Was late to Reddit. I, I I literally joined it last year. Yeah. So yeah, we're all late. Okay. We're all late to the Reddit party. And the only Reddit things that I follow are like Nintendo, <laughs> Nintendo Switch, <laughs> Shoegaze, Post Punk, and Vinyl Me Please. 
Oh, and Radiohead and Barrow. I listen to Barrow and Radiohead a whole lot. So, anyway, Vinyl Me Please, I'm excited. Oh, and then they, the last clue that they gave is they posted a video on YouTube of liner notes from the album. And it was only up for a few seconds, and then the guy burns it on his grill. So you have to watch the video and read the liner notes and figure out where it's coming from. <laughs> this is what made people think it's from that band in Nashville because of the introspective lyrics and being depressed and stuff like that. So anyway, I'm a big record nerd at the wrong time to be a record nerd. That's why I would say it's your the dad. Doesn't mean it's the wrong doesn't say it's the right time and the wrong time. Right time because you can get stuff reissued that you never were able to get before. Or you don't want to pay high prices. Wrong time because the hobby's expensive. Yeah, it's a, and but it's, it's gonna be. It's like everything. It's a bull market at first, and then it will crash. Yeah, well, it'll crash. It'll just fall. I was no. at Guest Room Records today, actually, and I picked up um, AFI's album, Black Sails in the Sunset, and it's a colored one. The colors don't matter, but it's a pretty, that's like my favorite AFI album. Back Never really got an AFI. It's back when they were still punk, I guess. <laughs> back when they were more of a Misfits yeah. band. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Misfits. And I heard they liked the germs, too. It was just like melodic West Coast hardcore and stuff, which I like. Kind of like Lookout Records and stuff like that. So. <laughs> the faces just makes me like, kids what in your vinyl. Your shoegaze. <laughs> Did you ever you ever heard that band called Ceremony? They're from out there. They were like, uh, they sounded like Trash Talk, which is a hardcore band that plays like thrashy kind of, like DRI, punk, super fast hardcore, and they've evolved over time to where they were playing that kind of punk, and now they sound like Joy Division. <laughs> and people hate them because of that now. That's hilarious. Because it was so I used to listen to back in the day at 19 at Gilman Street. Because all I want is the same record. Do different stuff the same way. Do that forever. Now I'm just saying do as a musician. Don't actually do it differently. Yeah. The, do different. Don't so, actually do it differently. Same, but different. So, um, so one of the other things I really got into was, um, or ended up watching finally, was the, the Rurani Kenshin live-action movies. There's three of them. Yeah, it basically just goes through the... Um, There's a bunch of those, right? Oh, three of them? What's the name of the um, bad guy that's super burned? Ah, uh, you never watched Kenshin? I've watched the first episode of the anime. I've never. Okay. I've watched the first episode of the anime. I've never read the Yeah. Movie, it's, completed series. Um, it's completed series. I'm totally out of my depth now. <laughs> Not even joking. This is why we need to get Keith in here. I would actually be. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really good. Um. Anyway, the whole plot, I'll, I'll be brief on here. Um, the whole plot of Kenshin is it, the lead character is a uh, wandering masterless samurai. He's a, um, yeah, he's a ronin. Um, the whole point um, is that for the la- he used, during the um, rebellion that ushered in the Meiji era where Samurai start being outlawed, like what you see in um, the last samurai. He was the top assassin for the group that ultimately takes over. 
Um, he was so good at killing people using this forgotten fighting style that he became known as um, the Batosai, the Manslayer. Um, so at the end of the war, based off events that happened, he becomes, he decides he will never kill again. And what he gets is a sword that is reverse bladed. So whenever he pulls it out, the normal sharp side is dull. So the flip side is sharp. So it can actually be used against him in combat versus um, him actually killing anybody. It's honestly more akin to Batman, where he is ruining people's lives. He's breaking their necks, breaking their arms, breaking their fingers to where they cannot ever hold a sword again. Like he, anybody who he's kind of very ground level. Like at one point, he's actually right. I'm just gonna maim. Right, right, and that and that's actually the people that he ends up like. That's the growing cast of characters. Um. The main um, bad guy is Shishio. He um, was all, he was the assassin they kind of picked up after Kenshin quit. And whenever the um, rebellion ended, they tried burning him alive. And he survived it. So all of his, his you know, third degree burns from head to toe. Um, always walks around in bandages. And basically the his kind of thing is that they have closed up his sweat glands. So if he you know, fights for too long, he'll spontaneously combust, essentially. So that that's kind of his thing. Um, oh, that's funny. The, that's my thing. <laughs> so, I will blow up. so basically, um, that's my Kenshin, <laughs> he's been wandering for I 10 years. He ends up kind of settling in with this dojo, picking up a whole cast of characters. Um, and the first live action movie is kind of a very small focused thing. Um, the thing I like about Kenshin as a storyline is that um, it's entirely a psychological thing for him. If he if he ever kills again, he will lose this kind-hearted character he is now. Um, he will revert. To, he will never be able to stop killing again. Right. So. Um, the entire plot is basically him kind of coming into people from his past who know who he is that are trying to kill him based off his personality. And he's trying not to kill them. And then they end up going after the people that he now, his new family that he's fallen in love with, that he wants to protect. And so there's points where it's like, okay, cool. You have like this person, it's anime. Everybody has special abilities. Like this one person, if he looks into your eyes, he can stop you from breathing. Um, so you have to kill you have to kill me or else she's going to die from suffocation. So let's fight. And him figuring out a way to defeat him without killing him and releasing. Um, and that's the first movie. The other two deal with Sh- um, Shishio coming out of you know coming out of the shadows to try and destroy the government and the government hiring Kenshin to kill him. Him knowing he's going to have to kill him and the kind of cast of characters and everything coming up um my favorite thing about the series whenever the whole psychological effect comes in is that at one point during this arc his sword gets broken it's a -a one-of-a-kind sword the guy who created it created this master blade has died since when he created the sword he had to create a mirror image 
So well. if you're going to create a reverse bladed sword, you have to create the mirror image, which is a normal bladed sword. So he finally gets back the sword while he's fighting another guy who is trying to kill him. But he refuses to draw the blade because he knows that if he draws this normal bladed sword, he's going to kill the guy and he's going to lose his personality, lose who he's become. And so this fight goes on for a while before he finally is about to die, finally pulls the blade, goes to cut the guy's head off, ends up breaking the guy's neck and coming to find that it's actually a reverse bladed sword as well. But up until that, the moment he pulls it, uh, yeah, that's not that's not even a big, it, it's one of the big battles, but not not the ultimate one. But um, just the moment that he made the decision that he was going to kill his Fighting style, movement speed, everything changes. The entire way he moves his body changes because he is reverting back to that old self. Only to then realize, oh shit. Yeah, this didn't kill the guy and kind of, you know, events instantly reverting because he hasn't killed somebody. He hasn't spilled blood. But as I said, ultimately, it, like, he, he's, he, yeah, the, the guy is an invalid. The guy's in trouble for the rest of his life. <laughs> well, seeing as this is the you know early, early you know nineteen ten <laughs> sort of thing, that he, he's just fucked. Um, um, but yeah, and then the Shishio, like the whole Shishio arc, ends up taking two two full movies to fully resolve, and they do do it correctly in there. The one thing I will say about all of the movies together is it falls from the same like anime adaptation point of view is that everybody all the villains are over the top cackling maniacal people that would have no basis in reality um one of my favorite characters ends up more being just a complete idiot (laughs) oh yeah yeah and um it's just even the people with small stakes end up having a huge just you know yeah chewing the scenery for all that it's worth because it's anime so um the way they actually have the the fight scenes is pretty awesome the other the last thing i'll say about it is that i did find it funny when you're watching it with subtitles on near the end of the second movie like probably 30 minutes before the end of the movie it's just giant battle that's happening and i see that one of the like an off voice off screen voice it comes up with the character name and it says foot soldier 150 <laughs> and i'm like surely like he hasn't done like 150 people like fought 150 people so far and then by the time he gets to the end it's like um foot soldier 211 ow Okay, so literally, this there's <laughs> over 200 characters named Foot Soldier that he has fought and taken out, and like they they. What is your name? <laughs> Foot Soldier number one. It's gonna be a long. What is your name? <laughs> Foot Soldier. No, I, I just one. thought that was an awesome naming convention. It sounds like someone needs to do like a kung uh, uh, the. Oh, what was that? Kung, Kung wasn't Kung Fury because that's the thing. Yeah, that's Kung Fu. Yeah. That's Kung Pao, and then there's um, Kung Fu Hustle Kung Pao, was another one. The fist or whatever. 
I think Kung, but Kung Pao is the one where they use the footage, right? Yes. Yeah. I, it sounds like someone. Needs well, to I mean, we could always like just make a an Ninja Terminator. I did. I did watch that on YouTube. Yeah. It was. It was. It was interesting. So Nathan, what's the last thing you've been uh, consuming? Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention was. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention was a book I read. It's a book of poetry uh, called Nappy Edges by Intuzaki Shange. Um, she, uh, she's still alive. She's been a poet and a playwright um, for 40 years now. Uh, the most famous play she's written was uh, for colored girls who've considered suicide or the came out as a movie enough, called for colored girls which, uh, actually was on which, Broadway and then and time. when you read the thing it has the full name and you're like what what yeah. oh okay but it's a collection of stuff from 1972 to 1978 uh, including there's excerpts from different uh uh, even theater pieces uh, that she she did, but the collection is a mixture of poems, prose poems, experiments. One of the most things she's probably the most famous for is innovative and creative spelling. So, like in the uh, a lot of the stuff you saw Prince doing in the eighties and stuff, not the not numerical for two or stuff, but like. Uh, spelling of ov or doing about or doing could as cd or, uh, just you know well is she trying to do like a regional dialect kind of uh, it's not really dialectical because uh, it's more of her own language i mean that's so fascinating you know, it's really fascinating she, she uh, she'll shorten words she'll lengthen words she'll respell words to have a sometimes very specific uh, sometimes for the pun, sometimes for just the regional. Sometimes it is dialectic, you know. The, like I like it when they put that into dialogue. It's, it gives everything. So um, the uh, the big thing uh, is just her influence on New York hip hop and uh, black uh, black performers and black poets throughout. Just the the uses of creative spelling, the way she's. Um, playing with language. Um, she uses a lot of, in this book specifically, because uh, she talks about how when initially she was writing poetry, uh, the men in the community were so, like, you know, like you don't talk about girl stuff. You don't talk about feminine stuff. You, know, you talk about real stuff. And then when she started using and talking about her using more feminine language or more feminine metaphors or talking about her life as a woman getting rejected by a lot of the people who she used to like respect or be friends with or and uh, just facing the the trials but uh she's one of the many members of the in the 70s of the new york and poets cafe which has miguel pinero uh who is a playwright uh actor he was a uh, there's a movie by with Benjamin Bratt um, called Pinero that was made in the early 2000s. Uh, uh, Pietro Pietri, uh, just a lot. There's a lot of 
famous performers that kind of came out of that music and poets cafe, especially in the seventies. More so um, but a lot of the poems deal with uh, more social issues and more current day seventies stuff. The thing that's kind of weird is how just com- it's not really weird. I I shouldn't say that. It's more sad that we're still in the same place for a lot of people. Like a lot of their experience is still as as a person of color or as a woman, you know, going through certain experiences even to this day. Like uh, one of the poems she talked about. Uh, the suspect is always black and in his early 20s or um, talking about how uh, she talks about uh, rape from the perspective of like they were always asking for it you know we're always told we were asking for it oh yeah totally so like like, does she do like proto hip hop oh I'm I'm, this stuff completely influenced like I guarantee if these guys didn't, if they didn't oh, yeah, hear it well, he's, he's firsthand, they heard it secondhand. They were all kind of weird. You, you know, you ever heard of this? Oh, yeah, he's, well, he's, he's a part of that extended New Yorkian Poets Cafe, The Last Poets, Art Ensemble Chicago. She's got like four, three or four poems that mention the Art Ensemble What's interesting about, off subject here, that pro-hip-hop stuff, there's a group collection of avalanches, and they sampled on their second album. These, uh, collection is called Six Boys in Trouble, and there's these little African kids, and it's like recorded in the fifties or sixties of them doing their own jazz poetry, and they're like ten or twelve years old. It's fascinating how that all evolved into. Well, but it's also like the dozens is such a long. I mean, that's that goes back, you know. Last poet is cool, actually. Not a lot of people knew that, but David Bowie mentioned. Oh yeah, yes. Well, there's just like the last poets were like. Everything that became slam poetry extends out of what happened in the 70s in New York and what happened in the 80s in Chicago and what happened in the 90s in, uh, in California. You know, there's all that, all the, all the performance art that's happening on the Lower East Side in New York with uh, Eric Bogosian, Spalding Gray, you know, those people doing the one, starting to do the one man show, the one person show, the just that whole idea, and then you've got combining that with more the more direct poetry stuff. But uh, the poem that I want to mention that absolutely heartbreaking. So it's told from the perspective of a person talking about their father. Their father, they grew up with their father being a magician. And as her father got older, he got better and better as a musician or magician got more and more success and more and more success and then one day uh and the 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 father's african-american uh a young boy who's black comes up to him and asks him to make him white and that was when i'm done i can't i can't do tricks anymore because i you know i've right I can't do that. I can't pull that trick. And I don't want him to pull that trick. I don't want him to ask for that trick again. And just like the perspective of like, here's something you've wanted to do all your life. And like, in a way, you could take it as a direct metaphor for something like menstrual shows or uh, being uh, a famous performer of any kind. Like, Dave Chappelle talking about when I noticed 
I wasn't laughing with them, they were laughing at them. Yeah, you know yes. that. Some, when something was happening, and I just, this you know, that, that moment of like, yeah, no, I, like no, this is, this is not good. This is, this is when it's crossed the line. You know, there's a lot of like resonance to that. Such a powerful poem. I encourage you. It's from 1978. They've reissued it a couple times. It's not too hard to get a hold of. Say the name of it again. Nappy Edges. Uh, Intozaki Shange. Uh, it's literally the capital N-T-O-Z-A-K-E. And then Shange. S-H-A-N-G-E. Totally recommend it. Uh, just incredible poet. I really want to read more. more <laughs> so, uh, Skyler. Oh. <laughs> Skyler uh, forgot he was movies. supposed to talk. <laughs> uh, hey, y'all watch that show Black Mirror? Uh, whatever, whatever you want to I just start. I watched. <laughs> uh, I just started it. I watched the first season. I watched. I'm about halfway through the third season. I've, I think I've watched one episode, one or two episodes of the second season. That show's pretty fascinating. I like it. Uh, that that first episode, it's incredible. the one with the prime minister. And yeah, the, yeah. And the, and the was, there like, there were a couple episodes I had to actually skip past. Um, I'm, I'm scared, but <laughs> I'm still um, I, yeah, I had to I, I had to skip past the yeah, you had to skip um, past the third one, right? Your whole life, the one where they can um, record everything and replay. Oh. Is it the one where he finds out that she cheated on him and she's pregnant, so she like deletes her whole history with him off of the see through their eyeballs? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, that one's that one's intense. I think one of the most fascinating episodes that I saw is uh, this one where this guy's in like a futuristic kind of military, and the whole place looks like it's post-apocalyptic, and they're sent in to go kill these people called roaches. It's basically kind of like uh, Nazis going after the Jews. Yeah. And when they see these people, they all look like, like friggin' like vampire, alien, demonic-looking people, fangs and stuff. And uh, I'll go ahead and spoil it. I guess um, one of those people has some of the vice flashes of light in front of his eyes, and after that, he starts seeing glitches in his eyes. I mean, he's look, you're in his eyes, and you're looking, and your stuff starts glitching. Turns out when he joined the military and he said, yeah, I'll sign this, yeah, 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 because they're like, you know, we're going to be under experiments. Do you agree? And when they did, they installed some kind of things into his eyeballs, which makes him look at these people and they turn into monsters. When he saw that, he flashed a light in his face. It messed up his whatever it is installed in his eyeballs. And now these people, they look like normal human beings. They are monsters. They were made to look like monsters to get eradicated. Basically, they're like homeless people. They're sent out to go kill. I was about to say that playtest is the one that I was like, you know what? Fuck it, I'd still do it. Some kind of VR technology. Scary though. Um, the the. Scary though. Since I've only watched first season, the one that really got me. Personally, was the uh, yeah. It was it was, it was weird going back and watching that af- after Daniel, seeing Daniel him get out, and then <laughs> kind of going, okay, so that's what he sounds like. Okay, that one really like that one. I feel like is the most 
it's not completely. It's yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. It was on the internet right now and a lot of I mean it's not completely but just the fact that like people are doing anything for fame even when they don't realize it playing with American Idol but then the lady who's really good at singing and has a great voice gets dumped into porn basically and uh, goodbye forever that, like, when he rebels his rebellion just becomes another fantasy another lie that they can yeah, that they can tell people, you know, just like, like that's what's so fascinating is like the fact that it, it's decontextualizing everything. It's like when you can. <laughs> At first, you're like, why were they talking about that? Well, the the, the, the one like, the other one I had to skip past was Nosedive, uh, <laughs> which has um, this, film, this has got real Rice you know, in it. Yeah, it's a society where everybody's getting rated based off of the image that they present oh, to everybody. Oh, that, that's my least favorite so, one I've watched yeah, um, so far. But it becomes where it's, instead of credit, it's your stars, how much people like you. So yeah. she's trying to get a loan, but she can't get in unless she gets a 4.5, and she's a 4.25. Mm-hmm. And because of that, she starts breaking down and becoming more false, which means people are downvoting her, and then she gets into a fight with her brother. Um, she's trying to catch a plane so she can go to this wedding, and because of the fight with her brother, he downvotes her. Then the taxi cab guy downvotes her because she made him wait. And then she's trying to catch a plane, and it's only reserved for the ex for the higher class. You have to have at least a four point two. And she goes, "Well, I am a four point two. And she goes, "Actually, you're a four point one eight three." You know, and then she gets mad. So that becomes causes her to downvote. And eventually, it's just it's kind of that it's the <laughs> flip of cringe humor. It's cringe drama. To the point where she just yeah. gets so far that she actually has to be removed from society in the course of a day, and it's like, okay, yeah, fuck my life. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I had, I had to bow down on that. The playtest one I did really like because it is VR and it's, um, it's like that um, video game that they have on. If you have an Apple Watch, it reads your um, what scares you and starts doing that more. So it's reading his mind and pointing out, oh, he's afraid of spiders. Oh, he's afraid of um, this bully. Oh, wait, how about if we took the body of a spider and the face of your bully and melded them together? <laughs> Holy fuck. Okay, cool. Like, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. I actually know all about it um, um, because Wisecrack just had a video about Black Mirror and they mentioned the Prime Minister one. The nosedive one, the fifteen million credits or whatever it's called, yeah, and then um, they mentioned the Waldo one, which yeah, hundred million credit, whatever it is. That seems to be the um, This guy does a voice it, It's really relatable, I guess you could say. <laughs> it's re- that seems to be the common theme. Um, this guy does a voice for like some kind of CGI cartoon bear that just trash talks talks everybody and talks over them, and somehow he gets so popular that people actually want him to run for like it's like prime minister or something crazy. And of course he doesn't win, and the guy who used to voice him quits, and some other guy takes over and just keeps it going because he's so popular. And at the end, it shows that guy. He did his voice. He's kind of homeless looking, and it's in the future. It would be like if um, Cartman meets Happy Tree Friends. <laughs> some kind of like crazy, if like that weird amalgamation ended up <laughs> running for office. Yeah, yeah. 
or like in Poppy. I don't know what you're talking about. Wins. Or if, uh, yeah. or if um, a president was a reality TV show host and not really a self-made billionaire. And the guy, he, he saw how popular he was, but he was all kind of getting crushed by like some personal stuff. But that What's funny is this also dropped before the election, if I remember right. Yeah, it's coming out like what? Well, it's, it's the Netflix like was last year. Like, right? like it came oh, out last year. Oh, or it just came out. The, the, the third season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the third season was yeah. before Netflix. Anyway, Black Mirror. It's like Twilight Zone for the present. I mean, the the big thing that Wisecrack yeah. brought up about it is that <laughs> yeah, for millennials, it's, guess, um, all about the spectacle, about and that's what their main com- you know their main commentary is is on the spectacle, and that the Black Mirror is talking about our screens. Well, the interesting thing is Charlie Brooker, uh, who is the writer for most of the episodes, if not all the episodes, um, he worked in news media for a long time. Makes sense. Um, a lot of it's kind of a newsy filter. Well, it's just like, I'm sure being on the other side of that world of being a creative person, it's like, man, this really fucks with me. <laughs> well, there's like, you have, this is kind of really cool. You know how some, something happens to somebody and you're like, hey, you know what? There's a thing that you can do online that will help you with that. There's this one where this one lady's husband died and um, this lady's like, you want to talk to your husband? He's dead. Well, here, go to this website and you take his cell phone data and compile it with things he said. Yeah, that, that's way too real. It, and anyway, what she does is she texts, this guy texts her and it's her dead husband texting her and it sounds just like him because it it has all the data because from, it's like, an AI yeah, talking to AI. and eventually she freaking like orders a synthetic lifelike looking robot of the guy <laughs> and he comes to her house and they have sex and man this sounds way too much like a George Saunders short story she, like, that I wrote she, she, she kind of gets creeped out by him so she keeps him in the attic um, the Waldo moment came out in 2013 and he looks the same so it was season it's, 2 it's, uh, it, it's very yeah they are still making it okay so yeah yeah, I think uh, it's on Netflix now. So I mean, it's still well, they haven't they haven't canceled it officially. Like they have. So the other thing is, uh, Charlie Brooker was a part of. He worked on at least one episode of uh, The Brass Eye, which was like a uh, a comedy news show. Um, and then later he was in, he did a she'll go charlie brooker screen wipe and then games wipe and then news wipe and news wipe is the one where it had um, doug stanhope had like a segment on random episodes where he sits in a chair and it's on a tarmac as you do in a suit and just rattles off shit about what's terrible about America. um the the one thing that is cool about the last episode that because you know, your um, scholar was just talking about is that the husband is played by donald gleason Oh, thank, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. She was in Captain America. What's her name? What's her name? <sighs> How specific? She was in Captain America. She played. Oh, and she was. Um, oh my! Why did I forget people's names? Hey, man, your favorite oh, director. Okay. I'm still not gonna watch that episode. No, so. um, <laughs> Haley Atwell. You're right. Haley. Okay, Charlie Burke. You're still not happening. 
Yeah, Haley. Haley Atwell. Haley Haley. Okay, he's, Charlie yeah, Brooker is listed. Yeah, create, creator on of Black Mirror. single episode as one of the writers, if not the main writer. Except for... Except for the entire history of Deep. Jesse Armstrong wrote that one. But every other episode... Wow, that's kind of interesting. Um, Rashida Jones is one of the co-writers of Nosedive. Yeah, that makes sense. Too. That's kind of funny. She's done a lot of script writing for like The Office and things like that. Probably Parks and Rec. Have you seen the show that? Um, why? Why did his name believe me? The guy who plays the lead in The Office for the first six or so seasons, Steve Carell. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, the show he created, Angie Tribeca. Any of that? Angie Tribeca. No. Well, it was in the first like two episodes, but it's and it's Rashida Jones in the lead, and it's total fucking Zucker Brothers, uh, naked gun, full on prop humor, full on sight gags, no like. I would love to see comedy like that again. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, and this is it's on fucking. Uh, AMC, I think, or really oh, okay. like FX or something Say like that. Say it again. Angie Tribeca. Angie Tribeca. It's, like it's like a parody cop show. I will watch Where that. she's the best detective, basically, <laughs> but also the worst detective. I think they've done two seasons. Zucker yeah. Brothers, like yeah, Airplane like, 1 and 2, are like some of the funniest two, movies I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, yeah I've, I've only seen like maybe two or three two episodes in the first season but I just remember being like what the fuck am I watching this is hilarious because you haven't seen sight gag humor like this in so long like it's so crazy like it's so well done so well done at least the first like I said I've only watched it because I I caught it after it had already aired so it wasn't on the on demand very long after that yeah, unfortunately, the only Zucker brother sure comedies now are scary movies and American yeah. Carol. And and right, but they are the writers and directors. Except they're of not them. even Zucker brothers. There's no timing. There's no. I'm talking about airplane. Yeah. No, the real Zucker brothers. Uh huh. David Zucker did. They didn't do the scary movie. No, one scary. Of, yeah, scary. I was like the brothers. Oh, no, it. is it that the very first scary um, movie? That was cool. that no, was scary the movie. um, yeah. oh, the one, one of the Zucker brothers, David movie. Zucker, did one through five. Yeah, that one actually was kind of funny. Yeah, and the last one that they actually that uh, the other one oh. did, he stopped in two thousand one with Rat Race. You know that gym. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, because you can tell who is the talented one. <laughs> anyway, that was all I've been consuming. But basically, Angie of... Tribeca is Police Squad for now. Okay, but with female. Leaders. I am gonna watch that. Christy will watch it too. I'll let you know. Um, to so the last thing I was um. <laughs> Archie Dawson's Creek. I feel like it's an SNL skit that's really bad. He's like, hey, Jughead. Jughead's all like, Archie, got some problems, man. I live under the stairs at Riverdale. 
she has to watch it because she her pretty little liar shows over with. And she has it's a good thing she doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> bad for you. You're getting it's real. Probably gotten into this argument. <laughs> probably. He's All probably right. gotten into that's this it, argument okay. before. That's it. I'm tired of you, Jughead. All right. All right. Um, that's it, Jughead. The last thing I that's consumed it. was the you, Preacher Jughead. television series. Right. <laughs> so that that was interesting. I've only watched the first. Pilot. Yeah, I mean it's the first. It's pilot and then good. The I'm. Episode. I never actually read the comic, so. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm more. I, I, I know more Garth Ennis from um, Crossed. So. Yeah. So I'm guessing that I mean it feels like this is just I mean or, horns is another one that, the preacher show reminds me a lot of is him using the voice and it being, it's essentially the uh, genie. <laughs> Like, watch what you're actually saying, because they're actually going to follow through exactly what you say, not what your meaning is. So, um, for instance, once... Go fuck yourself in the comic happens, and he says the there you go. Um, and this so one... Cuts his dick off and shoves it up his own ass. In, in um, this one, he tells somebody You'll to go to this, hell, course, and they immediately dialogue. disappear. Um, he tells somebody to um, oh, what is it to obey God or to, to serve God Yeah, yes preacher I will of course I will and he seems like he's a good outstanding Christian at that point like he's a character that he's seen pissing into a um, into a briefcase at one point to show how much he doesn't want to do something and then he's told to serve God yeah, yeah preacher of, of course um, this character, of course, is played by Jackie Earl Haley, and he gets to set up this new this meeting to help revitalize the town. And the twist on it is he then shoots these people with a shotgun, killing them all. And you find out that he is serving the god of meat, not the good Christian god, but the god of meat. So, um. From what? Well, this is a blend. Because the first, the first, the main thing with the first season that I heard, because I, I only was able to catch the first two episodes, yeah. uh, was that they stayed in the town the whole first season, and so they took elements from one of the other storylines that takes place entirely in the town. Happens and moved it into this. And this character well, in, happens in a different way in the comics. Um, does he is he no. fucking a giant? The the no the oh my god oh yeah because that I mean, happens if you've in seen Cross and there's a panel that's nothing but um in no I'm talking Skyline um and knowing this it's his entire family was killed at one point so he brings in he brings in all their bodies and dissects them and also dissects a cow and then whenever one of his people walks in he you know he's freaking the fuck out and goes you know which one is the cow and which one's my daughter you can't tell, can you? They're just meat, you know, and that's his whole reason for not being a Christian anymore. Um, 
by the end of the first season, none of those characters are alive. <laughs> well, they're not staying town. No, no. The se- I mean, the second, the end of the first season is them well, leaving town. So the second yeah. season is them on a road trip. They can't. It's like um, it's one of those shows the that they can't stay in town. Yeah. But the I'm saying just by the end of the first season, they've completely basically. killed every single person that is in that first town through the events that happen in the town. Um, so they're out of town by that point. The only person who's kind of left is more... I can't tell if it's him just going insane or if it's him actually seeing the spirit of somebody but him um, trying to get that person he sent to hell out of hell and trying to figure out how to do that so they also have a a gunslinger cowboy storyline yeah that they have that kind of play out through the season saint of all killers that's gonna go through the whole series guarantees from the teaser they're bringing in air star and some of the other characters you're about to get into some oh i'm sure i mean yeah christian stuff you mean, you, like, why would you watch a deeply no, violent movie called Preacher in the or what? TV the television series called Preacher in the first place? A lot of it is just Garth Ennis' of course, restriction, yeah. Irish obsession with Christianity, you know, through a comic book series i just thought it was interesting to go through that entire first season you you know you get attached to some characters and the way it ends with the entire town being wiped out and you kind of go okay and then you kind of sit back and go well crap that means that character's gone and that okay i mean they probably would have done better to do start the road trip almost immediately but they were trying to keep him in one place Well, I'm sure it was also they had to prove. Yeah, the the thing I thought was um, to get the budget the to do the road mission trip. statement at the end of the uh, first season is that we're going to you know we're going to try and get you out of hell and we're going to try and find God and if he needs our help then we'll help him and if he doesn't then we're going to kick his ass. It's like okay, I mean. Still- Probably one of the, the comic itself is so blasphemous. Yeah. Oh, so, so, yeah. It's probably one of the. It's Garth Ennis. So, so blasphemous, like in so many ways. Like, like when I, yeah, when it's just like uh, I was um, I was impressed when I when I saw the first episode, and I just you know, I was like, like the fact that like there was yeah, it's actually real fucked up gore. I was like, that's very Garth Ennis. It's, it's actually so. Here's the weird part. In a way, it's the best filmmaking that Seth Rogen and Evan. Well, I mean, even Kevin Smith at one point was brought in to do. Yeah, but I'm saying like it's not like any of their. Well, yeah, it was that the crow came out, and then they tried to get him to do to come up with a preacher, 
version that ultimately fell through. Because it's like, hey, comics are big and cool. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to do? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I liked it. I do f- feel at times that, at least with that first season, it was a lot of spinning its wheels and then something happening and then them immediately pulling back on it so that you didn't kind of, I don't know. No lasting consequences for what was going on except for the very end of it. Yeah, I think the problem was... Well, it's kind of the way the first storyline goes. Well, yeah. That's kind of the way the first storyline goes in a lot of ways. I hope the consequences don't really make a lot of sense yet. My hope... I think it... I'm going to have to watch more of it before I want to say whether good or bad, but if you haven't read the comic book series, yeah, it is a rip-roaring fun I'm surprised yeah. they're going to... I know that part of this next season is supposed to take place in New Orleans, and I was like, that's kind of early. Well, I'm sure but with I guess they're kind of doing how long Preacher is and all that stuff, that they're just taking what they can, get a, you know, get approved and playing with that. Yeah, well, it's, it's only 66 yeah, well, it's it's only sixty six issues. I think I think it's sixty six. But it's um, other than like but it's just yeah, it's other than like the first five issues. I think all take place five or six take place in the small town. And then well, from what we've seen with AMC adaptations of um comic book series they don't really care about what the comic did they i just read a thing about the reason why walking dead season two took place on herschel's farm is because they um, cut the budget in half and frank darabont had to um, convince the super christian family that owned the farm that objected to the stuff that they did to allow him to film there and on half the budget that he had normally, which made a lot of people pissed off sure because he wasn't was going to the prison, but it was enough to prove that, hey, we do need the budget to go to the prison. Come on, guys. Like, we'll make it well, worth your while. I don't know. Like, I knew that it wasn't going to be Preacher. Well, I don't know. Like, I knew that it wasn't going to be Preacher and the fact that it's like a completely faithful adaptation. Of course, I, I don't think most people want to see a faithful adaptation because, goddamn, they talk a lot in that book. Like, you would literally have episodes where two characters would talk, and that's all that would happen. If you adapted the comic book perfectly, it would be incredibly boring for a lot of people. Because they they're telling stories and talking in monologues. And, like, sometimes it literally goes on for the whole issue. But there's also, like, that is a whole storyline, and it's brutal and violent and terrifying. There's lots of horror movie references all through it, lots of Western references all through it. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what they do, because there's some really fucked up shit coming up. Yeah, who knows? If they're able to pull off that fucked up shit, we might get across at some point. I think you might get one movie 
Right. And everyone just be so disgusted that no one ever Because, I mean, it's it's worse than torture porn, you know, with the shit that happens at Cross. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's The Walking Dead, but where... Um, they, they fuck you, you to death. Fuck and... Well, yeah, it's that they get um, the cross-shaped rash that makes them want to do the most fun and evil thing they can possibly imagine. So, yeah, they have the intelligence and the ability to get into planes and scout and figure out where the hell you are, but it's more fun to firefuck dive bomb that into the ground and blow <laughs> up than it is to yeah. do that and them, you know, ripping people apart and fucking the appendages. Yeah, yeah they're... <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean... Really fucked up. Yeah, within, like, the first five pages, I think. I mean, within the first, like, two pages with the prologue, you get to see some pretty messed up stuff, is but that it's... Where it starts literally guys like fucking the head or whatever? Or is that the um, <laughs> no, yeah, it's um, it's that one starts out where um, they exit like the guys in the like town, and he exits. He he, he uh, probably he exits the um, he goes out onto like the street and sees that like planes are coming down, and it has like a a diner in the background that people are just like hack you know doing using hatchets on everybody, and the whole street is di- um, dying, and then it jumps to. Hey, we have this group formed. We're survivors. I don't like this. Like, it's just explaining their relationships with everybody. But no, it starts out with the group. There's a guy who is kind of a smartass who had heard that, like, salt stops them. And so he's running. His wife rolls her ankle. Like, they're running with him, the daughter, and the wife. And the wife rolls her ankle, and he stops and uses salt to try and hold them off. And then it just goes to a two page spread of them having sex with the father, the mother, while the mother's infected, cursing out the father, and the daughter being ripped apart. Fun stuff, and right? Yeah, yeah. That that saves at least the more fucked up stuff later, but it was still one of those panels like, oh, okay, turn, start, keep reading, turn back to that panel and study it. Keep reading, stop, back to that panel and look <laughs> at it. Like, like, <sighs> So not, I don't know. Garth Ennis Seth, by the way, he he did do a whole he run on Preacher, run. Uh, with Steve Dillon, who he did, or Punisher, that he did, uh, with Steve Dillon, who he worked with on Preacher. Um, was the Punisher the War Journal stuff? No, 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 no. no, no. Okay. Uh, Punisher World Journal, War Journal is just one of the spinoff series spin-off they had going on in the early nineties. But um, there's also. Uh, he's done a bunch of war movies. Now, this stuff you would be interested in. He's done a bunch of war comics from the 1940s that are real, like, heavily researched, like, straight up. Like, none of the, like, dark, disturbing aspects of a lot of his other perverted work. But I would totally, if you haven't read any Garth Ennis, uh, he's totally worth checking out uh if you're not into cross that's okay yeah cross is the one that you just kind of go oh man what did i just get myself into you just threw the threw the worst at you just to see if you flinch but only a little bit so uh i i, I guess we're at the end yeah. So, uh, Nathan, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me at on the on the Twitter, Twitter. sometimes at Nate Wad Neutron. 
And also find me sometimes on Reddit uh, as Nate Wad Neutron. Um, that's, pr- that's pretty much the place you can find me on the internet these days. Uh, so, uh, Skylar, where can they find you on the interwebs? Um, I took a break from writing reviews on punknews.org, but I am working on writing a review for OK Computer. They just had the 20th anniversary release called Jeez. OK Not OK. And that came out in 97. I was 12 going on 13 that summer when I got yeah. it. And I listened to it all summer long. And they put the whole album, and then all of the B-sides, which are good, and then three unreleased tracks, including one called Lift, which is a fan favorite, but they only have live versions of it now. There's an actual studio recording, and the band hated it so much they acted like it never existed. Because the studio's like, hey, this could be a hit. And it's a good song that could have been a hit way back then during that whole Britpop thing. Oh, well, anyway. The Champagne Supernova era. Yeah, so anyway. <laughs> I've, had, I've hung out on Reddit now, Eat Dogs 49. I just choose 49. Because Eat Dogs is taken. <laughs> For once it was. So I put 49, which is a Native American thing. Something like Go ahead, go ahead. Something y'all don't know about. Words. Um, I think that's like, that should be the new tagline of the podcast. Something you, or no, should be something you might not know about. Yeah. Words? Uh, so, Justin, uh, have you prepared the litany? Uh, you can find me at justinheard.net, justinheard.com, at justinheard on Twitter. Um, Facebook is real Justin D. Heard, but now that shows the dubious consumption. Um, Facebook, and uh, you can find me on YouTube, 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 YouTube under uh, dubious consumption. Which, uh, how many videos are you at now? Um, at six, five videos. I think it's five. six. It's six videos with the primer commentary okay, okay. that we did, yeah. and then um, working on my seventh right now. Dealing with House of Leaves. So. And actually, while we were recording, uh, just to timestamp this a little bit, Justin had a milestone today. Our, my uh, Stephen King's It video passed 1,000 views. So, uh, yeah, I'm just... Uh, thank You're you. doing it. Well, I'm just getting to that point where I'm getting about um, 100 views a day. So, that's something... Just imagine, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to be like... Fourteen thousand people watch this video. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I do find personally. Um, there's a whole Kyle Calgren um, video on tiny furniture that's just kind of the, the like, mumblecore video. Yeah, the mumblecore video. Um, what is the name of what is her name again? Um, she Lena, did girls. Lena yeah, Lena Dunham. And there's a there's a line in there where she's showing this video of her like. Um, stripping in a fountain or something. She's like, you know, I'm a big YouTube star. I've got uh, 400 views. And he goes, oh, honey. <laughs> and that's kind of how I, 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 like, that's been my measure. Like, hey, every view that passes 400, okay, cool, I'm making it. <laughs> and <laughs> um, Oh, honey. Yeah. And so, you know, the the channel is growing. I am putting time and effort into it, so... We'll see what see what happens. New videos coming. New videos coming all the time. So, uh, Nathan, do you have a final thought for us? Uh, it's good to be back. <laughs> <laughs>
yet again, yet again, 